break 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 through break 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 through break You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here with you on The Punch-Out, 27th of June, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show, and we've got plenty for you here on the show. We're going to be talking about the deep economic cost of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. But before we get to that very important story, we want to start with the healthcare nightmare happening behind bars here in the U.S. At any given time, there are over one million people sitting in state prisons in the United States. And among other things, those people are disproportionately subject to a significant number of illnesses versus the rates of those same illnesses in the general population. And they also tend to be even more susceptible to those conditions becoming exacerbated because of the prison system itself. Examining the details further reveals just how much of our system of mass incarceration is really aimed at warehousing the failings of capitalist society as much as any of the quote unquote public safety grounds it allegedly exists for. Recently, the Prison Policy Initiative was able to examine data for this that lays bare these realities. One notable and glaring statistic that speaks to all of this is the fact that as the Prison Policy Initiative lays out, quote, more than half, 56 percent of people in state prison had some indication of a mental health problem, whether recent or previously diagnosed, end quote. Despite that, they also note that, quote, yet only about one fourth of the total population, 26 percent, have received professional help for their mental health since entering prison. Less than one in three, 30 percent people experiencing serious psychological distress in the past 30 days. That's while incarcerated, reported currently receiving professional help, end quote. And on top of that, they note that, quote, a staggering half of people in state prisons who have a history of substance disorder treatment also have a history of one or more mental health conditions. This is disproportionate overlap. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, 38 percent of U.S. adults with substance abuse disorders also had one or more mental health disorders, end quote. Well, this in and of itself is quite a statement. A majority of people in prison, state prison at least, are either coming there with mental health issues, developing them through the process of being in prison, and are receiving no significant help on the inside or the outside, as mental health coverage in the general population is also deeply inadequate. So just right there, how much are prisons simply just warehousing people that are poorly served by the government's inability to seriously address mental health care? Well, the answer has to be quite a bit when you remember facts like, In Chicago and in Los Angeles, the largest mental health facilities are those cities' respective jails. Another fact that speaks to the overall point we're making here is, quote, half of people in state prisons lacked health insurance at the time of their arrest. That's a devastating rate of uninsured people compared to the overall population. Between 2008 and 2016, the highest rate of uninsured people in the U.S. was just 15.5%. And of those who were locked up who did have insurance, 32% received it from Medicaid. 
So when you put both of those things together, this stands out because the lack of insurance or receiving insurance from Medicaid is a surefire indicator of a person living in poverty. So what does it mean that a clear majority of people going into state prisons were living in poverty beforehand? In particular, we know at any given time, about 160,000 of them are in state prison for crimes that are essentially purely economic. It seems that the obvious conclusion here would be that the mass incarceration system is also warehousing people who are victims of the inability of U.S. capitalists to provide people with a living. One other notable factor the study details is that the rates of several chronic health conditions have grown worse since the last time the data was examined. The rate of hypertension in state prisons has gone up just over 8% since 2004, for instance. The rates of diabetes, asthma, and hepatitis C have also jumped. There are many reasons why this could be, and one notable one is that the population of the U.S. prison system is aging because of the massively long sentences handed down during the high point of the mass incarceration era. For instance, from 1999 to 2016, the number of incarcerated people aged 55 and older rose 280%, whereas the number of younger people in prison grew by only 3%. Also notable is that the rate of people with disabilities in state prisons far outpaces the general society. 15% of U.S. adults overall have a disability. 40% of those in state prisons have disabilities. Taking cognitive disabilities, specifically here, 5% of U.S. adults have a cognitive disability, while 24% of those in state prisons do. Which is even more notable when one considers the evidence that those with disabilities have disproportionate contact with the police. For instance, disabled individuals make up a third to a half of all people killed by law enforcement officers. So, once again, how much the mass incarceration system is really about, quote-unquote, public safety versus warehousing the people caught up in society's inability to place people's well-being over private profit. I could go on and on in this vein, but I think it's clear to you at this point. Examining the healthcare statistics of those in state prisons just reveals that the system of mass incarceration, while masquerading as being there for public safety, is really just an institution for social control, policing populations as much as behaviors, and locking up those who can't or won't comply. We've reported to you recently on the economic consequences of eliminating a right to abortion across the entire United States. As we've reported to you before, an amicus curie brief by 150 economists submitted to the Supreme Court on just this issue noted, quote, One study showed that young women who utilize legal abortion to delay an unplanned start to motherhood by just one year realized an 11% increase in hourly wages later in their careers. Another found that for young women who experience an unintended pregnancy, access to abortion increased the probability they finished college by nearly 20 percentage points, and the probability that they entered a professional occupation by nearly 40 percentage points. These effects tended to be greater among black women. End quote. So clearly, eliminating the right to abortion is guaranteed to have a seriously deleterious effect on the economic position of women in our society, which, of course, will be compounded for those already on the lower end of the income scale. You may or may not be surprised to hear in this regard that the 26 states that are certain or likely to ban abortion are some of those with the worst economic indicators. As the Economic Policy Institute noted in the wake of Roe being overturned, quote, the states that will ban abortion first are also largely the states with the lowest minimum wages, states less likely to have expanded Medicaid, states more likely to be anti-union right-to-work states, and states with higher-than-average incarceration rates. 
For example, among the states which will ban abortion, the average minimum wage is $8.39, compared with $11.48 in the states that have abortion access. Similarly, 10 of the 26 anti-abortion states have not expanded Medicaid, and all but two of the states are anti-union, right-to-work states. While the nationwide rate of incarceration is 419 per 100,000 people, in the 26 anti-abortion states, the average incarceration rate is 439 per 100,000 people, compared with 272 for the states without abortion restrictions. End quote. Louisiana, for instance, which has instituted an essential total abortion ban without exceptions for rape or incest, has a minimum wage of $7.25 an hour and has an incarceration rate over two times the national average. Oklahoma, which also bans essentially all abortions, also has a minimum wage of $7.25 an hour and incarceration rate over two times the national average. North Dakota, where Governor Kristi Noem is a rising Republican star, also has a trigger law that has no exceptions for rape or incest. In fact, Governor Noem told CBS that she didn't think it was necessary, saying that, quote, one tragedy should not be a reason for, quote, another tragedy. In Governor Noem's world, she's worth $2.3 million, by the way. Seems poverty isn't a tragedy either, because in North Dakota, too, the minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. And just in case you were wondering, in Fargo, a single mother with one child would need to make $30.55 an hour to make a living wage. Two parents with one child, $29.11. In Jackson, Mississippi, those numbers would be $30.28 and $30.51, respectively. And in New Orleans, $32.70 and $31.91, respectively. The conclusion here is pretty clear. These right-wing zealots pushing an anti-abortion agenda claim to love life, but they are going out of their way to make sure the lives they force women to bring into the world grow up in poverty. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.